Hello everyone and welcome to One Foot in the Podcast. I'm Tom and this week will be the final episode of Series 5, The Exterminating Angel. Uh, what a series it's been from stolen cars and suicide, waterlogged homes, devious greengrocer admirers, being sued at the solicitors and builders with a warped sense of humour, down to this very final episode. With me to discuss more Meldrew shenanigans is another super fan who kind of got in touch earlier this year to put his name down to come on the show. It's Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much, Tom. Lovely to be here. Thank you for um, coming on the show. And you are yeah, here to discuss the final episode of Series 5, indeed, Exterminating indeed. Angel. Where does that rate for you in the series, for Series well, 5 alone? Well, to be honest, I, I think One Foot is one of those sitcoms that every single episode is absolutely superb. And, you know, 42 episodes. I mean, how does Renwick do it? 42 episodes of pure brilliance. I don't think there's another sitcom like it. Um, it's just but, consistent, but, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, those scripts that he produces. Um, it, it's not up there in my top three, but, it, okay. but it's certainly a classic, classic episode. I mean, Series 5 is strong. It is, isn't it? It doesn't get the, um, the credit it deserves. I mean, according to TV viewing numbers, figures, they're, mm. they're not that high compared to Series 4. For some people, it just, it might have peaked, the show might yeah, be Series 4, maybe, but for me, I think it's probably Series 5. It's definitely We've got peaked. some brilliant episodes in Series 5. I mean, the mm. first episode, which was, wasn't meant to be a Christmas episode, but yeah. we're showing it, you know, uh, The Man Who Blew Away, that's my favourite episode of all time. So just have that at the beginning of Series 5, what a cracking opener. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 um a great start to the series. Um, so how did you first get into One Foot? Um, well, really, it's my dad's influence. I grew up big love of British comedy, step to insert, ever decreasing circles, Dad's Army, Porridge, Faulty Towers, Only Fools and Horses. This is endless, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think UK Gold. I saw that generation where UK Gold was sort of coming out, um, but. Yeah, it was really through my dad that I got into the love of One Foot in the Grave. And I think it kind of was a little bit more of a pinnacle than the others because just seeing my dad laughing his socks off, laugh out yeah. loud, crying with laughter. And to me, you know, that's my abiding memory, sitting down, you know, in my teenage years, just yeah. watching sitcom after sitcom. But this one, One Foot in the Grave, for both of us, is, is the pinnacle. Yeah, it's a, it sounds like a similar... Backstory to, to to me with my grandparents who their infectious laughter, they adored one foot, and it sounds the same for you. You know, you've got good memories with your dad. That's what it's all about, isn't it? For those who have children, you might want to raise them the same way and bring them up on the same comedy so you can pass I, um, pass I, it down. I think, I think it's one of those sitcoms that shares a little bit with Faulty Towers, where it's very quotable. Oh, there's too so many. Me and quotes. my dad, yeah, me and my dad, and you know, we'd be sat in the pub waiting for a quiz to start or something, and it just we hear a word and then that rice smile starts. Yes. What was it the other day? We had um, someone said to me, do you want a Mars bar? And I instantly thought with the man in the long black coat, you know, <laughs> where he says the line. Look um, at this. Mars bar. Bar. <laughs> yeah. Here Eric I am studying radioactive horse shit and you're offering me a Mars bar. <laughs> you know, and it's words like get your moaning gear around this. And, oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. That. yeah. Brilliant lines. Brilliant. Definitely quotable, like you say. Fools and horses, faulty yeah. my dad, faulty towers. There's not a moment that goes by with my dad where it could be completely off topic to any anything to do with faulty towers. It's just a couple of words. Yeah, that's taken Already from men, a quote. You know, this triggers. That's it. And then the office is like that, isn't it? If you if you like yeah. the office, 
that's massively quotable. I think the one for me, the, the one that stands out is we just have to hear the track of the laughing policeman. And we're oh, suddenly yeah. thinking of Victor trying to get to sleep, you know, Mrs. Ellsbury across the road doing <laughs> Chuck Berry duck walks. And uh, yeah, me and my dad are just laughing. And that, 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 I think that one scene was the one where literally we must have been bent over double. Yeah. Just crying and mum's looking at us going, what on earth are these two? And there's tears are streaming down our face. This, but yeah, that's my, you know, that'd be one of the top 10 abiding memories I remember. That's yeah. lovely. Yeah. And One Foot in the Grave is one of those, it is one of those sitcoms that you can, I think you rewatch it several times and you will still belly laugh. Yeah. I mean, I've, yeah. there's, there's many sitcoms I adore and arguably probably more than One Foot purely because I might have watched it before I ever watched One Foot. Mm-hmm. And, but I don't necessarily laugh as much. I just it's just a comfort feeling. It's um yeah. I'll stick fools and horses on. I won't necessarily laugh out loud unless I'm with mates. If I happen to watch it with mates or family. So I'm, I'm slightly different. My my missus gets a little bit perplexed. She says, You've seen this episode about five or six times. I said, Yeah, but it's like I'm seeing it for the first time. Maybe it's just me. But I will still belly laugh. Yeah. Even though I've heard the jokes before. Yeah. And I don't know what yeah. it is. It's, it's I can still appreciate jokes that I've oh, yeah, of course, heard and seen several thousand times. I don't, if I'm sat on my own, I probably would just smirk at most. Mm. But with one foot, I will chuckle out. I remember one of the first podcasts I did, I think in the early days of this podcast, I think it was Timeless Time. And oh, Victor, they're on their own, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a minute-by-minute live event of in Victor Margaret's bedroom. And he was getting so peed off with the fitted sheets or lack, lack of fitted and he it's just the way he says that he's wiped his nose three times now <laughs> and he's i don't know what it was that's just so true to life like but that's what's brilliant about renwick is the sentences are crafted with perfection yeah and it sounds like i'm being quite pedantic quite anal about it, but they are i mean i always remember reading in richard weber's book when he was talking about the episode hole in the sky and yeah. they cut out so much content he said, I was glad because there was one line Wilson had to say, which was barley sugars. Right. And he stressed the wrong word. And Renwick just didn't have this confidence to tell him, you know, you're stressing the wrong word. And that's what it was with Renwick. Everything had to be precise. Yeah. You know, like Nippy the dog. It's yeah. where he responds, well, I didn't. And it's the <laughs> I didn't is stressed, not the well I. Yeah, and yeah, that, that's the same. It does sound pedantic, I know, but it's Did the craft. Did you read uh, in that same uh, book that I love to mm. quote uh, where Renwick sort of stormed off the set because mm. I think it was Starbound and it was Gene was driving Victor and Margaret back home from, I don't know where they were in the, I think she'd come back from the airport, but I don't that's know right, why. Right. Yeah. I think it's something to do with the net Crosby used, getting two words the wrong way around and because they'd all, were hot and bothered in that car because they couldn't wind down the windows or anything. They'd be in there for hours. Mm. And she, she, they snapped back at Susie Belbin or whoever it was to say, like, say that line again. And Annette Crosby, just, she snaps. Because they're all mic'd up so they can communicate with Susie and yeah. David Renwick and all the other crew. And they said, we can hear you now. And they all basically said, we didn't give a crap. Not words to that effect. And then that just, that was it for David Renwick. He just... But it must have been it must have been hard for them to do because it's such a short turnaround between filming. Yeah. And you know, Renwick was very precise on the wording. And I agree why, because 
it makes it 10 times better. Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's about time you stuck your head down a waste disposal system or yeah. time to stick your head down. A it does matter that it doesn't have that or it does. And, and I think that's, that's why I love the show, the effort and the love that's gone into the crappy the scripts. Yeah. It's just, and, and the other thing I love as well, sorry to go on, but it's the pathos. Now, you got Mrs. Brown's boys out there. I won't give my opinion on that program, but they, they do that little bit of pathos at the end. And to me, One Foot shows so much better pathos than mm. many of the comedies out there. Um, the good example was in The Worst Horror of All in Series 3. Even now, it's giving me butterflies thinking about when he sees the uh, disabled man across the street. Yeah. When he's doing the doorman duty. And yeah. It's meaningful, is isn't it? Yeah. Just a beautiful piece of, of writing. You know, Victor's long look into the distance. Yeah. Uh, it's just, know, it sends a great message. But, you know, a, a common theme on this podcast is why the hell isn't this sitcom more celebrated against the wider audiences? Why hasn't Netflix picked it up? I, there could be many technical reasons why they haven't, or yeah. contractual reasons. I yeah. just, I'm dumbfounded. I don't know why it's not spoken of more in the same vein what? as Fools and Horses, Faulty Towers, exactly. Dad's Army. It just isn't. I know a, a general consensus seems to be that amongst British sitcom fans, a large majority seem, would say, probably say, Only Fools is the greatest. And yeah. I would yeah. say that as well. But one foot is so close. It's so close it in writing. Got, and yet it only got 10 in that 2004 British poll of best British sitcoms. I mean, I'm glad it did get in the I mean, top it's, 10. at least it's the top 10, and that's out of, yeah, what, 100. Yeah. But, you know, I probably would have put it higher than Yes Minister and Vicar of Dibley. I, mean, I love Vicar of Dibley. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it's just a poll. It's just opinions, I mean, isn't it? What it might be is maybe the concept of the character is more elevated than the sitcom in people's minds. So I'll give you an example of Alan Partridge. Everyone knows Alan Partridge. Everyone yeah. knows the character. Yeah. And they may not. It's too cultish to people to say, "Oh, I love that program." Or whereas Only yeah. Fools and Horses seems to hit more of a demographic, yes. by luck or by factor, and plus Del Boy, and plus Grandad, and plus Uncle Albert are dominating characters. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. I mean, the the supporting cast in Fools is is phenomenal. But so it is. One Foot in the Grey, Mrs. Walpole, Mr. Swaney. Oh, do you know what I find quite interesting? Someone asked me the other day, oh, would you ever go and see a stage uh, remake of One Foot in the Grey? And yeah. my answer would be no. Okay. Because I've seen some of us do having with Joe Pasquale. I've seen versions of Hello, Hello in Dad's Army. And they're good. You know, you get to relive them. The problem is, is that people can play the character. You know, I'm not... Um, denuding the role of, say, um, Arthur Lowe or John Lemessurier, but no one can deliver the lines like Richard Wilson. Yeah. Because that's, yeah, he's the delivery just... and the timing is crucial. You can he's... mimicry John Lemessurier, you can mimicry Arthur, but you can't do it with it. In that no. voice, you can't do an impression of that, Richard, Richard Wilson. Wilson's posh Scottish accent. Yeah. I mean, how many... I didn't know he was Scottish for, the, for years. Like I didn't. Yeah, yeah. He just to me sounded like a posh English guy. Margaret <laughs> sounded more obviously Scottish. That's but, true, actually. She does, doesn't she? Yeah. But it was because it's a sitcom filmed in England, and they lived in England in their, you know, universe. I just mm. a neat young head on me. I didn't think he's Scottish. Just sound. But doesn't did you sound... see a stage version of him? Uh, sorry, one foot in the brain. Well, is that, is that something Renwick, Renwick's um, 
possibly looking into, isn't he? Uh, really? He's releasing oh, a right. book. And a state, I think so, yeah. Um, I would definitely watch it, without a doubt. Of course, I, I mean, wouldn't pass on, is, on it. This brings me on, on a, this is related to your question in a way, but you mm. might have a, uh, subconsciously might be thinking of Futility of the Fly, which I believe is your least favourite episode. Yeah. And in that, made, there, there's a quite a funny, well, in my opinion, quite a funny, strange parallel universe, One Foot in the Grave stage what show thing. Yeah. So because their, their cleaner is trying to, Right. you know right isn't she and she wants to she's, she's yeah, using up her ideas based on the male Drew's household which mm. i thought is quite fascinating but i don't know it's i would definitely i mean it's like the falls and horses musical as soon as i heard about that i thought that's just so far yeah. from the show what the hell yeah. but i've watched it twice and think? it was good fun yeah yeah really good really really good um that's why i went twice uh good fun <laughs> and yeah, I don't mind personally, but I can see why many would would probably dismiss it out of hand. It's one of those uh, one of those funny ones. So, so this is your favourite sitcom of all time to yeah, summarise. Okay. Shadow of and okay. I think because as I've already mentioned, the memories, the connection, the memories. Yeah, there. yeah. Well, that's that's lovely to hear. I love hearing um, fellow fans' uh, backstories to how they got into one foot. And it's it's marvellous. Well, uh, I do well, know if I ever. If I ever get a chance to go on Mastermind, it would be my... Uh, of course, yeah. So I was going to say that you, you applied to go on Mastermind. Yeah, um, a, a while back. Yeah. What what was the process like? Did you just... just what what do you have to do to get on Mastermind? You, well, I've done I've done a few, actually, because my, my other hobby is quizzing. So a bit like The Chase was the same. You had to kind of go for like an interview. Were you on The Chase? No, I've never got on any of them. Oh. Sadly, only Connect I've applied for, but it just doesn't happen. You go for like a meeting... A slightly variance. One did like playing taboo, where you've got to kind of um, describe a word without saying it. So I had like Sherwood Forest, where I just went, um, not Nottingham football team. And they liked that. They said, oh, you can think around the box, you can talk, you can yeah. gabble. And that's yeah. what they want, really. They want someone on TV that's got a bit of personality. Obviously, mass mind, not so much because you're in a chair, you're silent. Yeah. yeah. But like, it's, it's a similar format. But I, um, a mate of mine was, um, on Golden Balls with Jasper Carrot, which mm-hmm. seemed to sort of come and go. That's I didn't really ever watch Golden Balls, but I did watch his episode. Not I don't really enjoy quiz shows really. But for my works, uh Christmas well not works Christmas do at all. It was over Teams. I did a quiz and I sort of put it in a pr- presentation form and uh made it fairly interactive and I think it went down all right. But it's the same quiz I used last year with with the family, but I adapted it for my team because sure. there were certain rounds to do with um guess who like i'd take a picture of a colleague but crop it so it's just their eye or something stupid like that and um it seems to be done all right but yeah quizzes i'm 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 no uh quiz master that sounds like well if wearing. you ever need uh, an only um and a, a one foot in the grave uh, quiz you know yeah if there's a one foot in the grave <laughs> interactive pub quiz then you're my man you'll certainly believe it the dumb <laughs> <laughs> well it's it is kind of strange to know that this is the final episode of series five mm. um and it's some years off series six because the yeah. series six didn't kick off till october 2000 and this series comes to an end by early 95 and then there's obviously those specials in between that was like one almost one a year i think so these quite... were repeats for me i think the first time i saw one to five they were repeats i saw six live right i don't know if that was the same for you for me but... um the, the christmas specials so starbound yeah. wisdom the witch endgame 
I remember I remember watching those at Christmas, especially Endgame, mm-hmm. because when Margaret looked like she was passing away, that was tragic. Yeah. Then the, that magic from Renwick, where it's just a dodgy um, life support machine, needs a good kick in. That's just. Genius. But that's what I love about One Foot is that sort of writing where it's kind of like a detractory from yeah. where you think it's going. Lead you down the wrong path. Yeah. Classic. But anyway, so I just thought, thought actually, that is something not strange, but it's but when Fools and Horses sort of finished Series 6, Series 7, it was just a special year. And that's how One Foot in the Grave went for a few years before, you know, finishing off in 2000. Because wasn't, sorry to digress, wasn't Renwick struggling? He kind of abandoned it after Endgame, didn't he? It must back. have been Jonathan Creek, because Jonathan Creek started in 97. That's right, the overlap, and I think his energies went into that. Yeah. Which is an an amazing series. If you like, oh, do you like Creek? Yeah, I, I think it kind of wore a bit thin towards the end, and Renner kind of thought, "I, I want to stop." There's some of those that. specials of. There's a few question marks for me, but yeah. those first three series and a couple of specials. The one that always sticks in my mind is the float with time. Oh, um, time waits for Norman. Yeah. Yeah. Did you like and that episode? Yeah, that episode is always that one's always been ingrained in my head. Um, yeah. I'm not I'm not uh, an anorak of Jonathan Creek as I am one foot, but that episode does stick in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I'll do a synopsis now, a very okay. brief synopsis. Then we can crack on and sort of break down the show. Let's crack on. So, a synopsis for you: Love is in the air for Mr. Swaney. Victor lands himself a surely stress-free job as a chauffeur. And the infamous Ronnie and Mildred grace our screens once more. <laughs> so opening up, then we've got Margaret testing the shower water temperature. Mm-hmm. Doing that age-old trick, you know, where you turn on the... It's not something that seems to happen anymore, but if your shower is boiling hot or freeze it, if you just turn on one of the sink taps, it seems to yeah. resolve the problem, albeit temporarily, and it must increase your water bill tenfold. It yeah, seems... Maybe. Does it do the trick? I don't know. Yeah, well, it, it used to in our place, so... Yeah, it, it seemed to be a thing of the 90s, because I, you know, I haven't... I've lived in various houses in the last 20 years, and I don't think I've ever had to turn on a, another tap just yeah, to I'm balance the water. Uh, sorry, balance notice, the temperature. If you notice as well that Renwick loves to include maintenance issues. Yeah. I was thinking about that when, sort of thinking about the episode. So you've got the McKendrick twins. Yeah. You've got Mr. Laverick and Chippy... Ch- Chippy Joe door issues. Yeah. Mr. Swaney with his clunky toilet. He's got something about maintenance issues, isn't he? I think those are the triggers to get Victor riled up though, isn't it? Yeah. it really yeah. it's it's too easy. He can produce <laughs> endless content of comedy for the world of Victor when, when it's something that goes wrong in the house. Or outside of the house, obviously, but yeah. Showers, lavatories, doors, yeah. Mechanical problems with his car. Yeah. Yeah, this is Avengers back again, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so, um, so Margaret's testing the temperature of the water. Meanwhile, Victor is is peering out the the window with the binoculars, and it's, it reminds me of Harry Enfield and Chum's oh, yeah. sketch with um, Paul Whitehouse. My name is Michael Payne, and I am a nosy neighbour. And that's what Victor's doing, and he's just commentating on he's what he's so he's he appears to be staring across the road, yeah. um, at whoever lives opposite them, not. Mr. Mrs. Ellsbury, I presume, but he's staring at some bloke's manhood. Unbelievable! <laughs> I mean, look at that. 
wandering about his bedroom without a stitch on. <laughs> it, it was the day he was born. Talk about being an exhibitionist. <laughs> I thought he'd one of those balloon animals tied to his waist in the first one. Bloody brilliant line. It's brilliant. That's, that's, that's what I love is that you don't have to see what Victor's looking at. It's the delivery of the line, and it just conjures that image in your head. That's all. Uh, that's, brilliant. that's all part of the magic, isn't it? Because yeah. a lot of the the content from One Foot is just anecdotes from the Meldry yeah. point of view, yeah. or whatever's going on at the time. Like you said, we can't see what Victor can see, but he's describing it. Yeah, brilliant. I don't know why he's having a nose. Uh, oh, we. <laughs> We do know why. So, so Margaret's stripping the bed down and she's just getting on with the day. And these binoculars are actually a birthday present for Ronnie. That's so right. he's just making good use of them. Which, <laughs> to be fair, why not? As long as he didn't damage them. You may as well. I know it's a bit immoral if it's someone's birthday present, but they don't. we know how they feel about Ronnie and Mildred. We've only seen them in person very briefly once, isn't it? Up to this point? Uh, yes. Yeah, once. And um, we do hear of them. A number of times oh, we hopefully get to see them later but for now it's it's victor just trying out these uh binoculars what gets me is the fact that you see quite a few episodes victor just loves procrastinating like when he's yeah. like when he's playing around with the door margaret's trying to read a book and concentrate and there he is coming in the door out the door in the door out of the door will you you know yeah. he's just he's just so a correct. good procrastinator of time yeah Pushing yeah yeah a classic example of that isn't it? because M margaret is trying to communicate with him and victor like you say is just procrastinating and just <laughs> commentating whatever he's seen out the window naked blokes she says might as well talk to a tin of spam <laughs> i know what it is that you you were mentioning on a trampoline he's bouncing down oh yeah that's it and we just see this mo the motion of victor you you can see clearly i think this just following his every move if you like there you go. But then he turns around and it's it's a comedic sight because he's he has some kind of uh, temporary crown in his uh, gob. Right. So he's looking like, what's he looking like? Well, Bugs Bunny. So we know he's got a dentist appointment that day at about half 11. Does he also mention that he's applied for a job? That's or, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's got a job coming up. Yes. That's what I love about One Foot as well is those sort of like cultural references. That's what this, this particular episode has got quite a lot in. Um, yeah, and they'll, they'll come up as we talk about the episode, but it's just that reference. Like the one that always sticks in my head, and you mentioned about it in one of your previous episodes, it's like shuffling along like Toulouse and the Trek. Uh, you know, the French paint, the really small French painter, and it just creates that image in your head. Obviously, I mean, you can see the teeth here, but I know it's, it's an image that's created by Renwick. He loves his pop culture references. Usually, I have to um, do a bit of research around these references to, to people in pop culture uh you being a man of history i don't know what your area is but i imagine you're quite I just i've just brought up on a lot of old tv you know so in the trial when he says i'm stuck in here like the prisoner of zender uh, you, you know you don't about. need to have known the film but if you have it just makes the joke that extra yeah yeah that's no that's good i mean brilliant line but you don't have to really know who he's on about and you can laugh no, because it's the no. delivery. It's you, you understand where he's coming from. It's a bonus yeah. if you know who he's talking about. Yeah. And some of them are really obscure. Like in one episode, he says it's, it's, it's about as erotic as Amy Turtle. Now you don't have to have seen Crossroads to know who Amy Turtle yeah, is. Yeah. I hadn't seen it's it. Just a funny, just a funny phrase. Yeah. But 
yeah, it's it's stuff like that that sticks in my head with the program. It's just yes, you know. yeah. Well, Victor is on the lookout for for more work. He's he's kind of been up and down with luck with jobs. But he, there's some posts that had arrived apparently, and he just asks right. Mark what it is, and it's just some bill, phone bill, and a letter from Reader's Digest claiming that they're going to be millionaires, like all these magazines do. Isn't there's another little thing that Redmix picked out these magazines have endless claims that you're going to win stuff and it's... he likes readers digest doesn't he because there's yeah. one episode where um in series six where um patrick's got a dead rat he's boxing it up isn't he oh that's it yeah and back to readers digest one of these lucky rodents can be yours <laughs> <laughs> it's really mocking these um these magazine yeah these uh well this this that type of literature which is just spams the hell out of uh it's it's funny you mention it because as we're talking, more and more examples pop up. So like the one where um, he says, I'm parrot fashioning in a minute, but um, where they said, it's a new shampoo I'm trying, she says. It was put through the letterbox this morning. <laughs> he says, oh yeah, I'm sure there'll uh, be a troop of uh, motorcycles knocking down your door. But yeah, Rabbit did like... Or HP spicy that. sauces. Oh yeah, HP fruity sauces. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Um, are you ready to move on to Certainly. the garden Certainly. scene? Um, oh, of course. There's not much else to that first scene, is there? Have I missed? No. So just to wrap up, that's that first scene is basically telling us that there's probably going to be a Ronnie Mildred mm-hmm. appearance. Victor has got a dentist appointment and just giving us a little bit more day in the life of Victor's boredom, you know, hence staring out the window at the naked neighbours across the way. <laughs> Now in the garden of the Meldries, Margaret's doing a little bit of laundry, drying down the the uh, washing line, when she spots a fishing rod out the window of Mr. Sweeney's mother's, well, window. <laughs> Obviously greet one another, and he, he's casually helping his mother fish, fly fishing. Um, it's his mother's apparent passion. Uh, we hadn't heard of this before, but she's got a, a passion for fly fishing. It's a nice bit of insight into... Um, his background in a way because he he goes on to say that he's been at the uh well they haven't lived in their big house by the river for well more than 10 years his mother is i presumably i don't know losing a bit of memory or going senile or whatever it's just sparking some lovely memories for her to go fly fishing so i i really do love nick as a character (laughs) i tell tell you what he (laughs) He reminds me of many people I meet because he's he's like those people that always starts conversations with half a sentence. Yeah. Uh, they don't say morning, how are you? It's always like like one of his best lines is, is it me or is it, is it moist? moist? Or Mrs. Meldrew tells me it's years since you've had an upright. Yeah. It's just brilliant opening lines of this bloke that clearly wants to have a conversation with someone because he doesn't talk to anyone all day. I know. And, and he just, it's just like you said, it's, it's almost like he starts a conversation halfway through. Yeah. There's a full conversation should be, and Victor and Margaret are always a little perplexed on how to approach him. I know in the first series they come into contact, and he's just this help the aged um, oh, yeah, volunteer. He pissed off, doesn't he? <laughs> off. And then series two, Victor is a little bit short with him at times, but as the series series progresses, Victor has a lot more respect for him, and they, they probably feel sorry for him because they, mm. they. I've said this before, but I suspect <clears throat> Victor and Margaret of you. Mr. Swaney, the same as Patrick and Pippa view Victor mm. and Margaret, mm. because they're always witnessing something a bit odd. 
or weird that it doesn't quite make sense whether it's it Nick Sweeney yeah. yeah whether it's the bow and arrow thing through the, the house <laughs> which is a bit odd but yeah this this um there's rhyme and reason to it for him yeah yeah and I always love the one of my favorite lines in the whole 42 episodes is they're having a conversation in the garden him and Margaret and uh they're talking about mother who's who's died. His mother's mother who has died. Right. Yes. You know, and she was taking that tour across the Clement Attlee wing. Another great line. And um, yeah. the one where she says, "I didn't know you could die of a broken bone." Well, yeah, you can when it's stuck in your windpipe. <laughs> and it's it's lines like that that Renwick gives to the peripheral characters. Yeah. It's like in our guard, you've got Mrs. Warboys with the man with the one arm. Oh, I didn't know you could change yeah. your light bulb with one arm. Well, you can yeah. if you've got a receipt. Yeah. It's just that to me is just you you know five minutes into the episode, well less than five minutes into the episode, you know you've got lines like Nick Sweeney saying there as he's fishing with his mother. It just yeah. sets up the episode as a brilliant, brilliant opener. It, you, you, that's very true. I, I feel like those very out there lines are given to the outside characters a bit more. Mrs. Warboys and Nick Sweeney, uh, apart from Angus Deaton, where he's more he's the straight man, isn't he, with the odd yeah. sharp line. Um, sardonic wit as you've said very before. sardonic yeah very basil 40 on um Stephen pills that's how yeah. i view um that's a good analogy, actually. yeah I, it's something i mentioned in the last episode he just just rem- always reminded me of john cleese basil mm. 40 but and he doesn't have that weird edge to him that say uh nick swaney and mrs warboys do so you've got that kind of anthony perkins-esque psycho element with uh, yeah. Nick which is yes. really obvious you know it's painted yeah. Yeah. quite with big brush strokes but uh, you know you do get the pathos there you know towards yeah. the end of you know series six when uh, Victor's being punched through the top bedroom window and he's kind of thinking about that news reporter that he's yeah. on the telly. you get yeah. these pathos you get the great pathos with these extra characters and uh, no you're right you're right and uh and it's not just the the words he speaks, Nick Swaney, but it's his actions. So he blows on the a du- like a duck sounding device, like a kazoo almost, yes, right. to uh, mimic the the idea that his mother's caught a a duck or something, and he attaches a dead fish um, <laughs> to the line. Seems a shame to shatter her illusions. That's right. <laughs> and then Margaret's just looking on in slight confusion and <laughs> bewilderment, isn't she? Just yeah, that is underestimated comedy acting from Margaret alone, just sort of politely looking on going, this is strange, but I'm not going to say anything. But I, I also like these little details. We find out that he's got a nurse that pops around three times a week to help his mm. mother. So he's not on his own like completely. And once again, Nick Sweeney talks of, of hosting a charity event for dialysis diagnosis. So he asks, do you know, he asks to be sponsored for like a silly walk, doesn't he? That's and right. he asks 5p a mile. That's nothing. Even in 95, 5p a mile was a bit... Because he's only going to do a few miles, isn't he? Mm. So, what, 20, 25p? You'd, you'd think it'd be more like a quid a mile, wouldn't you? I don't know. Well, I've, I've... Funny you mention that. I've got... You know, I know it now, but I must have misremembered it as a kid. I thought he wrote something down. He was asking for money, and then it turned out it was actually quite a lot of money because it wasn't done per mile. It was done for whatever longer distance, but... Is that something yeah, we come to I, later? I, I, I laughed because I... No, I, I don't think it is. I think it's something that I've misremembered. I saw it as a kid, and then when I saw it as a teenager, I thought, oh, it's not the same. And No, it's definitely... That's, that's the last mention of... Money. I know that um, so. Margaret ups the, the amount to 
quite ten p or fifteen p, but yeah. nevertheless, I just feel like even if he had a number of signatures sponsoring him, that's not going to be more than a couple of quid, is it? I just find that bizarre. I I feel like fifty p a mile might be sort of a minimum. I just don't know. I don't know what the the rule well, is. Probably something could... like that would probably bypass most of the viewers. It, it would maybe be a point, but yeah, it's a yeah. good it's a good little uh, insight there into yeah. But anyway, as as he's um, speaking of this this silly walk or the sponsor, he's stopped in his tracks as the lovely Tanya, who is the nurse, comes by the back garden, uh, completely distracting Nick, as we can see. This is played by, no, I can't pronounce his name. This lady is Anita Mardurvan. Spot on. Is that how you pronounce it? Now, That's how I have, yeah. As uh, you may recall, I tend to go on IMDb and look at these outside characters and just sort of find out what they're doing now. And almost always, no matter what their age, they've either unfortunately passed away or they just barely appeared in anything since one foot. And this lady, according to IMDb, I don't know if she's a stage actress, she's done nothing since this episode. And she's not old. I mean, I think when she starred in this episode, she was mid-30s. And she seemingly had quite a prominent role, like professional actually not just some, I don't know, just a few lines. She was quite prominent in this episode. Yeah, central character. So yeah. I just wonder, you know, perhaps, you know, people do take a, uh, have a career change, don't they? You know, mm. it just seems, for some reason, when it's an actor, actress or whatever, pop star, when they stop what they're doing and do what we call a quote-unquote normal job, that just seems bizarre. Whereas you and I could change our profession and it's not yeah. that big a deal. Yeah. But, um, it also might be a it might be a case of this might have been our first job. You know, look at Buster Merrifield is uh, Uncle Albert. Yeah, mid sixties. And I mean, yeah. it was great. It was a big role, but you know, it could have been a small role to start with, and then it led on to more. And obviously, it didn't. Yeah, uh, really yeah. Maybe that's what it was. But this is really interesting because this is the first time we've seen Nick Swainy sort of. He goes into schoolboy mode, doesn't he? Very yeah. shy. Uh, He's not doesn't quite know how to handle that situation. He clearly likes her. I mean, it's so painfully obvious, his body language. He's sort of, he's just a total, yeah. I mean, if she's visiting three times a week, and it's probably been over a number of months, he's probably really got to know her yeah. to a certain extent. And she is, you know, in my opinion, quite an attractive lady. She seems lovely and smiley, and why not? Um, and I don't think we'll see... Any other love interest from Nick Sweeney from here on out? This is quite late into the series, really, isn't it? This yeah, is I think it's one glimpse. of those forays, glimpses that Renwick did think, oh, I can, I can play around with this side of Nick here. And, uh, yeah. This episode, doesn't have, this episode doesn't have Mrs. Warboy, so that the focus is very much on Nick, isn't it? Yeah. It, it would be too much to have both characters in this episode. Yeah. I mean, um, it is, you know, there's some some fans, and me included, before this episode, I used to speculate a bit like Psycho, the film. Is <laughs> his mother really in that house? But she, someone's holding that fishing line. So it's not like he could have easily just rested the fishing line out and nothing happened, but someone actually winds it up, didn't they? So yeah. we have to presume there is a lady in there. But it's, it's, uh, I think that's re- what Renwick has done. It's just like the last episode, Did She, Did She Not Kill? You know, it, he likes to put in those sort of cultural references. Yeah. And yeah. uh, no one's going to overthink them in, in a 35 minute episode or 25 minute episode. No. But uh, yeah, it's it's certainly there to think, oh, okay, 1960s psycho, here we go. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that that's 
that's that scene dealt with. And for the first time, and I think the last time, we're going to see Nick Sweeney, a little bit of a romance interest. What's going on here then? And, and Margaret can read between the lines, as we'll see later. Yeah. And he's Margaret's just trying to finish the conversation they had, and he's still distracted until she exits and goes back inside. You've also got Ed Welch's music that kind of nicely walks yeah. into this one, haven't you? Now, I always love how uh, his music kind of makes that sort of scene. You've got that pathos at the end, and then it creeps into the episode. Ed yeah, Welch's... I do like that. I think that the, the music is key in, in One Foot because it is very comedic in, mm. in, in places, isn't it? Which complements certain scenes and other times there's the spooky element to ed welch's music but yeah it is worth worth noting that that is brought up quite a lot with some of the listeners ed welch's um influence yeah, yeah it's it's worth discussing so we're brought into a very brief scene of victor running a shower still got his uh fake uh crown <laughs> teeth in and this the scene switches immediately to Margaret filling the kettle up, and she instantly realizes what she's done, and it pays off from the very first scene showing Margaret trying to balance the temperature as she obviously scolders. Is it scoldering? Is that the word? Yeah. He scolders Victor's entire body, which, uh, which which brings the reintroduction of. Tanya, who she's called from next door, and I don't know if Tanya is. I mean, this is the closest they've got to a nurse. I don't. She's not a a burn specialist, obviously, but it's better than nothing. Victor is led out on the uh, the bed diagonally, completely naked, with half the contents of their freezer. Wilson uh, loves being naked, doesn't he? There's loads yes. of scenes where Renwick must love nakedness because you've got a Mister Foskett and hanging yeah. bollocks from the top of the. <laughs> Patrick and Pippa's window. He's trying yeah. to kill you. Know? Yeah. So Brian Murphy there. But uh, yeah, there's always scenes where Victor's showing his bum and uh, Richard Wilson must have been a great sport doing that. Yeah. Do you remember series one where oh, yes. I think Victor had a rash or something and, and a doctor came around to inspect and she just said, what, what do you think it is then? It's totally the least helpful GP you'll ever have. <laughs> You get something similar actually here where you've got that conversation between uh, Margaret and um, Tanya and it's almost like his response is, what utter drivel do you two talk? Yeah. I mean, he doesn't use those words, but it's that kind of, you know, what on earth are you two on about? You not know I'm here being treated. This uh, is it. Brilliant. Yeah. He's often bewildered, isn't he, by the conversations he he's... Uh... We get that in The Beast in the Cage as well, don't you, when they're talking about the... The man whose arm wasn't there when they went to remove the cast. What utter drivel do you two? <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's, I just, I mean, it's this reaction, isn't it? His reactions are so funny. And it's, it's the, the same again is going to happen, but Tanya is taking off some of the the, con, the, the food contents on his uh, back and, and his backside. And it seems like she spotted something that's a bit. Oh, revealing. Now, don't flinch. I'm uh, just going to take uh, a little look at this. Oh, what is it? I didn't know you could buy these ready-minted. <laughs> well, I did. Well, I you can. Really? And I think Tesco's do their version. <laughs> but I've never seen them in Sainsbury's. And it's a great joke, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So it's just ridiculous. What utter drivel do you two talk? That's yeah. brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> 
And Mix has just said there, like, little dignity he's got left. Marvellous. Great, great little joke. Tani then proceeds to, to dab something on his back. She had some, some ointment or something just to uh, provide a bit of uh, temporary relief. And Margaret leaves him to it. No, usually Margaret gets jealous, do not she? Mm-hmm. Other women. I think she gets good vibes from Tanya. So you get the knows. best line here as well. Uh, this is the best line in the whole episode. Can I leave you and the singing detective here too? <laughs> What a line. What a line. And of course, you do have to know a bit about the singing detective to work that. So obviously, he's been looking through binoculars, the detective part. Yeah. And obviously, the Dennis Potter play. It's all yeah. about a bloke with psoriasis and uh, lesions on his body. So it's that classic, Rennick does it all the time, the marrying of two. It works so well, doesn't it? It's a wonderful line. It's so clever. Yeah. And I'm glad you explained it because I don't think I could have articulated this better well, well, as well as you. And the singing detective to it. Yeah, it's it's pop cultural references like that. You just, yeah. you know, I'll say it again and again, but to me, it's just what makes the program so great, and that line is brilliant. Meanwhile, the, the telephone rings, and Victor manages to uh, reach out to the uh, phone, and he was unsuccessful with a job application to be a a driver for a, mm. a baker's van. Kind of ends with that. The, end, the scene ends with Victor just clarifying what the job was. Downstairs, Margaret's returning all the uh, fridge freezer contents. Through the back door, it comes Mr. Swaney with the <laughs> sponsorship form. And this is where Margaret ups it to a generous 20p a mile. Tanya comes back downstairs and there's a bit of um, an awkward atmosphere because quite clearly Mr. Swaney has taken a, a liking to this lady. And at from the first impressions, it seems that Tanya seems to take a liking to Nick. But he is clearly inexperienced in this area. He doesn't really know how to approach the situation. She's got this gleaming smile on her face, and he's he's thinking about going out for something to eat. And she's hinting that she's hungry and she wouldn't mind something as well. And to be fair to Nick Swain, he, he does sort of try in a roundabout way it's up to that point. But he doesn't follow it through with, would you like to come with me? This is where he needs, you know, a bro with him just to, like, you know, be a wingman. Margaret is just trying to keep out of this little very awkward um, young lover's um, moment, shall we say. They're not young lovers, but, you know, that she can sense that there's something going on here. And she just, when Tanya leaves, she kind of gives him a pep talk, doesn't she? Like, she was clearly... If you noticed, it was what I love about the writing and the delivery as well, is she does that high-pitched shrill. Mr. Sweeney. She does it when she's like, Pippa. It's, it's, yeah. it, it's a brilliant acted line. Yeah. And to me, when I think of Margaret saying, yeah, that's, that's common across the series. Oh, no, no, I'm afraid I'm not in her league, someone like that. Don't so. be utterly ridiculous. She was just desperate for you to make the first move. That's all. Well, I'd love to believe that, Mrs. Meldrew, but life's never that wonderful, is it? It's the pathos at the end, I love, you know, when he says, life's never that wonderful, is it? Oh, that's so tragic, isn't it? Yeah, and you kind of think, no, he's right. Margaret likes to meddle, Victor never. Victor meddles, but he doesn't interfere in other people's business like that. The sort of love triangles and, you know, he's cross about something, but Margaret tends to interfere and it kind of backfires. Yeah. Or she gets the wrong end of the stick. And she means well, but 
Yes. You can know why she does it because she's that type of person in, in, in mm. you know, every day, nine times out of ten, it probably does. But yeah, she's only trying to isn't she? So but it's quite sad. It's 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 quite sad that he's so defeatist in the first instance. Mm. Like, just if you're watching this for the first time, you're thinking, why would you give up at that point? And he's just obviously lacks confidence, lacks experience. I presume. I'm out of lead, he says. You know. Yeah, which is a common thing for many people to say when they perhaps like someone. Uh, but he does snap out of this low mood and he just leaves. And it appears to be later on in the day, we're still in the kitchen where Victor's now back from the dentist and he's also brought home the shopping. And he sort of casually moans that it took him a long <laughs> time to find this Polish sherry. Uh, went into, I mean, he's sarcastic when he says went to 10 different shops. During that brief moan, he, the phone rings and Victor goes to answer it. And Margaret's a little confused, as Victor's in the background answering this te- telephone call, Margaret, a little confused, isn't she, about the Polish sherry yes. Victor brought? And she gives it a sniff as well. Hasn't it? It's just absolutely rank, as far as we can tell by Margaret's reaction. Polish could bloody well keep it. <laughs> There's a bit of a comical mix up with this, isn't there? Yeah. But she is about to rant about. Does she reveal what the actual mix up Because Vic doesn't get it, does he? Well, it's, it can be seen two ways. Now, mm. it could be that it's Polish, comma. Sherry. Yeah, so she wanted some Polish. And some sherry. Or yeah. it could be that it's actually the wrong way around. So there is a brand called Cherry Polish. Cherry, yes. Yeah. Since the 1930s. It, I knew about it as a kid because dad had it in the yeah. I think it's more likely to be that because you might write things down the wrong way. But then the comma also, it, it's one of those classic ones. The joke doesn't re- really need to be revealed. You can see it's just a mix-up. Yeah. Yes. Ren lets it lie. And it's still... A cracking, cracking. It, it's clearly something that shouldn't be consumed, but we've had this bef- before with in Luton Airport, Noel can he scream where Victor's handwriting left to be desired, where people didn't actually get the invite, they got the invite, but and it all went to the wrong address. In fact, I think some of the best gags are to do with uh, misunderstood lines. Like my yeah. favourite is uh, Mel Drew's a turd. <laughs> I, that, that to me that is so you know, clever he's going ape shit by seeing <laughs> this thing says Meldrew's a turd yeah. in fact it says Meldrew Saturday to be collected yeah. I mean that's another one just it's so clever How it's so clever so clever but then this is the guy that wrote the uh, two Ronnie's mastermind sketch yes the that is genius the answer before the question before last isn't it and so to our first contender good evening your name please uh, good evening. Your, first, your chosen subject was answering questions before they were asked. This time, you have chosen to answer the question before last each time. Is that correct? Charlie Smithers. <laughs> and your time starts now. What is paleontology? Yes, absolutely correct. <laughs> What's the name of the directory that lists members of the peerage? A study of old fossils. <laughs> Who are Len Murray and Sir Geoffrey Howe? Burks. <laughs> Correct. What is the difference between a donkey and an ass? Uh, one's a trade union leader, the other's a member of the cabinet. <laughs> Correct. Complete the quotation to be or not to be? They're both the same. <laughs> what is Bernard Manning famous for? That is the question. <laughs> Who is the present Archbishop of Canterbury? He is a fat man who tells blue jokes. <laughs> what do 
people kneel on in church? The right Reverend Robert Runcell. <laughs> what do tarantulas prey on? Hassocks. <laughs> what would you use a ripcord to pull open? Large flies. <laughs> what sort of a person lived in Bedlam? A parachute. Correct. What is a jockstrap? A nutcase. <laughs> For what purpose would a decorator use methylene chlorides? Uh, a form of athletic support. <laughs> what did Henri de Toulouse-Lautrec do? Uh, paint strippers. <laughs> Who is Dean Martin? Um, he's a kind of artist. Yes, what sort of artist? Um... <laughs> Pass. That's near enough. <laughs> what make of vehicle is the standard London bus? A singer. Correct. In 1892, Brandon Thomas wrote a famous long-running English farce. What was it? British Island. <laughs> Correct. Complete the following quotation. I started, so I finished. Complete the following quotation about Mrs. Thatcher. Her heart may be in the right place, but her... Charlie's aunt. Correct. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what Renwick is good at. He's good at the wordplay. Mm. You don't see it coming, but either way, whether it's a comma or you know, it's irrelevant yeah. to the joke as long as you understand it's misunderstanding. And, uh, well, there's 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 that in Jonathan Creek, isn't there? Seer of the Sands with the little bug that looks like a comma on it amongst a personal letter to mm. that main character, which you know it, it drives yeah. him to despair. I won't say any more because we have listeners who, who I know are watching Creek. And they have not finished it, but is that kind of thing? He he um, pops in there, but Victor looks at the pol uh, the what the sherry or whatever it is he's got in his hand and the shopping list, and the penny hasn't dropped, and he just what? says what? <laughs> but that's but, that's the thing as well with that Polish sherry. Obviously, people listen to it might be fans of the program anyway, but it's that classic Chekhov's gun, where every little bit in the episode is important for something later on. Mm. So that yeah. Polish sherry is going to be important for a scene later on. Yeah. Because without yeah, like giving it away. But I like to call it, you know, Chekhov's gun is the idea that there's a smoking piece of information that will then reveal later on. Yeah. With Renwick's work, I call it Chekhov's arsenal. Because it's not just one gun, it's about 16 or 17. Do they talk about that in the in the Weber book? Chekhov's gun? Because I've heard yeah, they that. Do. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It's a very common, it's a very common, common threat, yeah. But, but I like to call it Chekhov's arsenal because with Renwick, there's so not many just of them. one. There's just, yeah, even up to this point in the episode now, there's at least been three or four things that are important. Yeah. Well, Victor has actually said that he's been offered a job from a Lewis Atterbury, uh, inviting Victor to have a little chat about a driving job. Um, yeah. So he's, he's, he's uh, thrilled at <clears throat> this Lewis Atterbury's house now. It's a very quick turnaround for this job. I don't know what the timeline is, but he's dressed quite smart as a That's chauffeur. Right. I don't know if it's the same clobber he wore in the last time they saw Roddy Mildred on screen. Yeah, I think I think the worst is. horror of all. Yeah, I don't, don't you love same. that? Don't you love that as well? Sorry, sorry, Chris, I keep doing that. But um, the names that Renwick uses as well, like Lewis Atterbury, it's just a great sounding surname. We talk about that a lot. You know, Mister Delsbury, Old Mister Gittins, Broadmoor, yeah, Stimson. Stinson, Mr. Smedley, Mr. Foskett, yeah, they're just great. They've got to be funny names, otherwise yeah. you can't yeah. imagine the situation where who these people we rarely meet, if at all, they're not funny unless those names 
comical in sounding. Yeah, Victor is round at this Lewis Atterbury's house. Now, Lewis, this guy, this is played by John Bird. He's he's mm-hmm. he has appeared in Jonathan Creek. He's also one third of Bremer Burn and Fortune, which I've seen many years ago. But he, I thought Lewis was an unusual name for a man in his fifties, early fifties. Mm-hmm. I just I know eventually those who are called Lewis who are young will be old, hopefully. But I just thought that was an odd choice of name since we're on the topic of names. Atterbury, no, that's fine. I think it was also deliberate as well that I think I read in the uh, Weber book is that uh, Renwick liked to choose actors he admired to play these Mm. sort of like minor characters. It's like Brian Murphy and Barbara Windsor. So uh, I think he's right. I think John Byrd does fit that kind of pompous business, rich business type owner. Yeah, he does... I don't quite well. I just have to um, go back a bit. I was speculating whether Victor's chauffeur uniform was from um, the worst horror of all, but quite clearly, Lewis Atterbury is complimenting Victor's uniform because it's something he's passed on to him, and it's a, bit, it's a little tight for Victor. Ah. The, the waistcoat is tight; it's barely held together with those two buttons, and the the, the trousers aren't quite long enough. So I'm quite sure. Sleeves as well, yeah. Is yeah. The, yeah, it's not quite the best fit. He is a chauffeur, so what could go wrong? Now, he's introduced to basically the cars he'll be driving, and there's a great little line from John Bird. Time, I think, to introduce you to my three children. It sounded convincing before you saw the cars. You just sounded very brief. You thought he's generally going to introduce him to his family because he's going to be around them a lot, chauffeuring them, but no, it is to do these luxurious, sporty cars. What cars are they? Do you know? Are they Rolls Bay Royce? and Charity. Oh, sorry, you mean, uh, yeah, there's a Jag. <laughs> Definitely a Jag. This is uh, one for Mr. Andrew Stowe, auctioneer. Andrew, he auction Andy, cars. who he's, he's into his cars, yeah. I just can't think. But there are three expensive luxury cars. Victor describes them as very nice. That is not the phrase that Mr. Atterbury wants Victor to use very and nice. They are not. They these are the creme de la monte, as Dale would say, of cars. Yes. You treat these like they are <laughs> my children. Very nice. Very and nice, Victor, are not words we use to describe these three pieces of machinery. They are the holy trinity of internal combustion. And he takes him to one of the vehicles, which is very amusing image of. Champagne bottles, party poppers, and a footprint on the window, so... <laughs> uh, sorry about the mess. The girlfriend and I were at a rather wild party in Oxford on Sunday night. The way he delivers that line, sort of very casually under his breath almost, but you can hear clearly what he's saying. And it's very convincing that he's just this posh guy, but he can still have a good time. No problem. I love it. It's just... fit fix. Another, like, minor, another minor Chekhov's gun. Yeah. It's, yeah. Chekhov's gun is going to be a common phrase used from here on out, I think. And then we, we're brought to like a montage of uh, Victor driving Lewis around to the Chuck Berry ride along, uh, riding along my automobile. Great little number. Well, he uses, he uses um, music quite a bit, doesn't he? I mean, end of the line, like Traveling Wilburys again. Yeah, yeah. It's very similar to, you know, if I say to you very quickly, everybody's talking, only fools and horses, you immediately think of... Harry Nilsson. You hear certain tracks from sitcoms and automatically, yeah. when you, you know, we can hear that track in the pub and I immediately think, oh yeah, that's yeah. that episode, lad. But when you hear, like you said, 
everybody talking, yeah, Jolly Boys, because that everybody talking is used in a few films since Jolly Boys, and oh, you course, will just course. you will just think of that. Yeah, I totally agree there. It's a default track, isn't it? Mm. For me, like with one foot is end of the line, near the yes. very end of the last series. Will Breeze, yeah. Yeah. And this one is the same. He doesn't use it very often, pop music, but when it does, it really does suit the the, the scene he's trying to depict. Yeah, it does. But with this with this montage of uh, Victor driving Lewis, um, the very first thing we see is this big army truck drive past of like a flooded area of the road. It splashes the cars. Bit of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen really with subsequent moments where Victor's going to be driving these lovely cars and stuff probably may go wrong and he's taking this lewis to a like a business meeting and whilst he's in the well having a meeting victor goes and gets the car cleaned and he realizes he hasn't taken off the aerial the top of the window <laughs> so he's out in the just absolutely messy this soapy freezing cold water jets spraying all over vic as he's trying to get this i don't know if it would have damaged the aerial would you have got out yeah yeah all? trust me i've seen cars damaged with that before is it too late to have got in and just reversed, or is it on a like a? a no, he's buggered. <laughs> you can just <laughs> see the frustration. Oh, I like it's the frustration in his face and all the suds flicking off. It's just a. That's the, what's great with those montages; they chop and change really quickly. Mm. You yeah. get these like short gags that build and build and build. And uh, what else happens? Then he's boys. yeah. So he's parking up. I don't know where he's actually parking up to. Whether it's a supermarket or not, somewhere in town. There's a big blue. A people carry a van with yeah a, a van load of rugby players and this is where victor's bravery is all to be seen because he confronts the driver right up close of how he's parked he's parked diagonally across across about three spaces now some would say if that car that van was parked sort of properly it would stick out to where the cars would drive past so i don't know what that van driver could could have done differently to be fair because it was an empty-ish car park but nevertheless he's not part properly victor's confronting him and it's a little bit like hearts of darkness where victor gets into a bit of road rage with oncoming traffic and yeah. gets although this time he doesn't get physically assaulted what i love though and you mentioned this in previous podcasts is it's not audible language so you've got the music playing over the top and he's just yeah. mouthing his words and i think that's more funny the idea that you're 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 putting into your own head what victor is saying even now i'm just chuckling thinking of the scene um but, but like I said, he doesn't get he doesn't get he doesn't get uh, physically assaulted. His, the car is no. tipped upside down by this team of rugby players, and he's got to go back to Mister Atterbury. Is it Atterbury? Yeah. Um, to admit that one of his babies is already written off. I don't know how many shifts he's done, but the first one done for. That's not great. It's a great scene. Just walking down those steps, you you know something's going to happen. Because the setup is already there, he's gobbed off to the to the rugby boys. Yeah, but it's when the camera pans and you see the car literally on the bloody roof. Yeah, with the lights flashing. Oh, what a scene! What a scene! Brilliant. But it's when he's helping Mr. Atterbury with his files, you know, from the business meeting. That is when you see the car upside down. Because before yeah. that, they were just intimidating him by staring. They were like standing in the line, looking at him yeah. as he's driving, almost like a uh, like a guard of honor, but not a guard of honor. They're just looking intimidating and they're just not happy with him having the cheek to stand up for himself i tell you what it's parallels to and i'm not saying renwick repeats himself it's the one where um he, he's on the beach and he has a run-in with a bloke who kicks the the sun lotion over yeah 
and then the bloke drives off and he's doing all that and he's shouting and he's Mm. raging and the car the the car so uncool for that was like such aggressive banter wasn't it from that guy brilliant scene mate Back at the Meldrew house, Victor is dusting down his cap. Um, Margaret is semi-lecturing Victor on picking fights with everyone he meets, which he very much denies. But you speak to your average one-foot fan, and they'll all say, we just love Victor because he just stands up for what he believes in. And he's a warrior, he's, isn't he? He's, he's saying what, we all think, what we're all thinking, and he's following through with actions. And quite often, he comes back with a bloody nose or, you know, threats. But, yeah, Margaret, I guess from her point of view, she just doesn't want him to be hurt. If you think about yeah. it, she doesn't want him to be hurt. So why are you picking fights for everyone? Um, and she references that why that bloke at the pub snapped off your um, front teeth the other week. Um, it's the line, isn't it? It's the end of that line where she says, like a protective tap on a video it cassette. Is. It's just a great mental image. It just, is. Oh, that's why he's got no teeth. And that's, yeah, and that's why he had the, the, the crown. So it does, it, <laughs> it's not just random. There's a reason for it. And we're, we're gifted with that. Like you said, an image in our head of how he got there, how he got his teeth Everything smacked. is explained. Yeah. Everything is explained. Um, and it was all over a packet of crisps, apparently, but I like how that <laughs> how that line of pr- a protected tab on a video cassette. Because <laughs> do you remember using blank videotapes? And yeah. then if you yeah. want to keep the recording, you've got to take that tab out so you, no one can record over it. It's brilliant. It's, it's, I think that's why the line is great, is because you can visualize. Yeah. It's, it's a good analogy or an allegory of. <laughs> Yeah. It's a, it's a dated joke. It's a bit of a dated joke, though, isn't it, if you think about it? But it's still funny because, obviously, who records? Oh, well, I'm, I don't want to digress, but I'm one that believes that no comedy ever dates. If, if it works for you, it works for you. If it's funny, it's funny. Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Victor yeah. is getting ready to collect Lewis's parents from the airport. They're coming down from Scotland. You haven't forgotten we're going to Ronnie and Mildred's tonight. I try to forget we're going to Ronnie and Mildred's tonight. Like you try to forget you're going to die, but it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, it was the worst horror with us all that I can mention. It's for Ronnie's birthday meal. And that's a miserable line. line isn't it? Mm. Misery guts, Victor. He just like they just shudder at the idea, don't they? They've got to spend their their um their time with with these with these two but people. The the thing with that with those two characters, people can relate. We've all got relatives we don't particularly want to see. We all go to a wedding we don't particularly want. And when you kind of, because in the worst horror of all, you don't actually see them, do you? You hear them at the door knocking. It's the one yeah, where that's the, the yeah. Over, isn't it? You yeah. kind of get. Uh, I do wonder with, with with Renwick. Did he want to make these characters that were like Mrs. Atbury? Mrs. Ellsbury, sorry. They're never seen, they're just mentioned. Well, you do oh, see Mr. See. And Mrs. Ellsbury, don't you? In Oh, yes, you do. Sorry. Uh, I should have picked someone else that you don't see. Monday morning will be fine. That's right. Well, yeah, I mean, um, various cousins, uncles, and aunts you yeah. don't see. Cousin Ursula. Cousin Dick. Cousin Dick. <laughs> oh, hang on. No, you, visit, you do visit, they do visit Uncle Dick in hospital in the Comet Relief 2001 special. Or 2000. That, I, I think that's a different, I think that's a bit of a. Because he's called Cousin Dick and then Uncle Dick. Oh, right, okay. Oh, well, so, nevertheless. Anyway, anyway, digress. Nevertheless, we digress, uh, which is all part of, part of the... No, which is all part of the fun. Again, I, th- I do think that Victor and Margaret, a bit, like, a bit like how we were saying, how they view Mr. Sweeney's weirdness or mm. quirkiness, how Patrick views Victor and Margaret. Victor and Margaret view, certainly Ronnie Mildred, how properly Patrick views Victor. Because that's very original. I've never really thought of that before. But you're very much right. Yeah, yeah. I think the that's the case. That. I mean, he sarcastically predicts what hideous novelties they'll be 
brought back from their holiday <laughs> this year, like a souvenir photo printed on the back of a, the box seat. It's just something that Patrick would say about Victor, wouldn't he? Yeah. Margaret said Ronnie had called earlier. He's in a bit of a state because they they got some building work going on and they got some foundation work on their extension. Jacob's done again. But more, we'll yeah. More remarks about their wealth and rub it in their face because I think in Worst Horror of All they're a little bit like oh they tell us all about their loft extension or whatever <laughs> I mean the Meldries had a loft extension in in um, Hole in the uh, Hole in the Sky that's right with the McKendrick yeah. twins the McKendrick twins so they got some money as well but yeah it's it's just I sense that they're a bit maybe envious of the, the amount of money yeah. they got it's, it's like with all relatives that you don't particularly want to see there's always an extra dimension yeah. in this case it could be money or whatever yeah because it, I think it's hinted that Ronnie Mildred have lots of holidays, like worst horrible when they're trying to pretend they're not in, and Victor <laughs> bugger off back to Whitney uh, somewhere in the north. I can't remember where he said now. They've obviously got these holiday homes or caravans or whatever. They're always going away, so they've got a bit of cash behind them. Uh, Margaret says she's offered to help with the the food, which she totally regrets, which I find slightly bizarre if you're invited to a birthday meal you presume you're the guests so why would you unless it's just contributing to that's the weirdness of ronnie and mildred i wonder if that's them you know they're they're a weird couple so maybe they've done the weirdness rather than margaret and she's just gone along with it Mm, perhaps so victor does leave and margaret goes to the kitchen she's interrupted by mr swain he's dressed rather smart in a suit and casually says he's um just got to bury his auntie it's oh, lovely line, isn't it? I can't stop long. I've got to bury Aunt Sis at half past. <laughs> just brushes it over, like before Margaret sort of. Nonchalant. Margaret said, "What? Well, how does she die?" And yeah, she was attacked by an albatross in a hot air balloon. <laughs> nasty, I'm afraid she fell out the basket and landed on a tennis court in Droitwich, right in the middle of a tiebreak. <laughs> yeah, play out to be suspended for half an hour while they disentangled her from the net. So. <laughs> Bit of an undignified exit, really, for the poor old soul. <laughs> it it couldn't just be a casual death. It had to be something like this. Yeah. Attacked, yeah. yeah, attacked by an albatross in a hot air balloon. <laughs> Can you imagine that's like most of us would, would recall, recount this story in, with absolute horror. The fact that she fell all the way out of this hot air balloon basket, right under the tenant court. Tenet? Tennis court in Droitwich, which sounds funny. <laughs> Droitwich sounds it's funny. Na- yeah, yeah. It's just, it, yeah. And it's, he felt. It's layered, isn't it? There's but, so much to that line. It's like, we're not done yet. We're just going to add this. We're not done yeah. yet. We're going to add this. I'm just going to add a bit more detail to exactly how this relative of mine tragically passed away. Felt the need to say that she fell on this tennis court during a tie break at the detangler from the net, <laughs> which I, I presume she was died on impact. But in a way, I hope, because that would be hideous. I mean, it's hideous either way, isn't it? This corpse in this tennis net. It's, it's, it's dark. Very- but funny. It's very dark and very Python-esque. You'd, you'd yeah. see something like that in a, in a Python yeah. sketch. Yeah. And that's, uh, you know, it goes with the rest already. Or it, it, he likes the wordplay. He likes the the surreal yeah. nature to it. And that's what yeah. I like about this episode. You get nice lines like that. It's, it's brilliant. Just to read into things for a little bit, because he's casually said that he's got to bury his auntie sister. There's obviously a funeral that, that afternoon or coming up. He's seen Margaret previously maybe the last day or two hasn't mentioned this death there's there's no way as a funeral turnaround as quick as that is there so either it's a really quick turnaround or he just forgot to mention it previously and but he's clearly in a good mood because actually does he come to say that he's followed up margaret's advice and he's asked this tanya out to do the silly walk together 
which is a great way in actually for a unofficial first date. It's mm-hmm. you know, on a totally different topic. If you're going to take someone out for a drink, go <coughs> to the cinema, you might not be able to get a proper conversation in. But to do a silly walk together for charity is probably the good, the, the right way to approach things. So fair play to Nick Swain. He's uh, he's uh, plucked up the courage and he's going on a silly walk. That's brilliant. And, and it, Margaret's and pleased it, for him. And it's good to set something up for later on. Mm. So obviously Renwick's got the gag or the joke and it just kind of fits quite nicely. That's where we're going with the story. Yeah. We're at the infamous Ronnie Mildred's house and this time round it <coughs> is a different actress playing Mildred. Um, it's now played by Barbara Ashcroft. But Ronnie is still played by the great Gordon Peters. Too often. Um, yeah. We've already mentioned when, when we last saw them. We hear of them regularly. But we just don't see enough of them. It's one of those bizarre things. It's like Falls and All says Slater's a huge character, but he's been in three episodes. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. What an impact those sorts of almost unseen characters have in their lives. And I guess the, the other character. one, the other one for, uh, for One Foot is Cousin Will. Yeah. Or um, he's only in two episodes. Yeah. And you know, when he's there with his uh, voice activated thing that Victor likes to play around with, yeah. <laughs> it just sets a great. You know, they don't have to do much. They're only in two episodes, but mm. they do enough to leave a lasting impact. Yeah. But in in the, in the Ronnie Mildred household, it's a modest looking house, but they're having an extension built. It's uh, very much of its time. Ronnie is tasting this lovely Polish sherry. They seem to like it. That just goes, that says all you need to know about them. They probably see things and, well, they see things from a totally different a point of view they probably think it's something lovely therefore it tastes lovely and he's got the binoculars around his neck yes. i like that little That's bit, bit that i love yeah mm. this polish sherry is rather delicious margaret's helping out in the kitchen and she goes to attempts to check out the rubbish doesn't she and they rather casually tell her you're gonna kill yourself if you go through that door there's a <laughs> 10 foot drop because they're having the extension built they could have been warned her i mean if i if i was running Mildred, i'd be like oh, wait 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 but now they're just, oh, you don't want to go down there, Margaret. You kill yourself. Well, that's just Ronnie Mildred, isn't it? Maybe that's why they're a little bit infuriating because they're so blasé about yeah, yeah, things small. that you should be concerned with. Um, I did think that the house reminded me partially of Jean's house in, a, in an early episode, but Jean's oh, house yeah, was yeah, huge, yeah, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, sort of. It could be a similar set, but it's uh, not entirely the same. It just reminded me as such. I guess the purpose of this scene is just to... Well, it's nice to see Ronnie Mildred, isn't it? These characters that are spoken of so frequently since the first series or two. It gives also an excuse for the plot to develop in the way it's going to develop. You know, I mean, the stuff that goes on in the house is important to the plot. Whose house would you choose? Well, Ronnie and Mildred's got good mileage, so we'll uh, choose them. It wouldn't work with Gene. It wouldn't work with Nick Swain because of the layout of his house. And yeah, you might as well get some mileage, some gags out. And of course, then having Ronnie and Mildred means you've got the binocular gag at the start. You've got the yeah. singing detective. It all links. So I mean, that's probably why Renwick did it. For who can I use here for a plot device to to move it forward and get some great gags out of it? You have to, yeah, and you have to respect the fact that this uh, huge drop in the the garage, the, the the floor that's taken away, is obviously serving an obvious purpose later on. We have to see that, don't we, for ourselves? So yeah. it's it's perfectly reasonable. But it's very quick. It, it, it doesn't spoil. No. It doesn't say, oh, it's going to be predictable. It's so quick and so underplayed. It's quite smooth, doesn't it? it? Yeah. When you're watching this for the first time, you might be just thinking, oh, look, there's a... Margaret nearly fell to her death and, 
and Ronnie Mildred are pretty relaxed about it, and that's yeah. funny. The yeah. gag is on Ronnie and Mildred's attitude. Is that, is that's the, right. I, that's a better, better way of phrasing it. It is on their street. Then Margaret goes to the downstairs toilet. I don't know what she's flashing down there, but we do see a picture of Ronnie Mildred from the holidays in the, the back seat of the toilet. And the way she lifts up the secondary seat, yes, like yes. it's framed, fits perfectly. And Victor sort of jokingly guessed that that's the sort of thing they bring back. And they obviously have. I don't know if they've done it previously. And he's just oh, saying Oh, I never it, really yeah. thought about it like that. Yeah, it adds an extra dimension. Victor's already predicted it. And it's kind yeah, of like... That's how predictable they are. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. The scene obviously moves on then where Victor is in the car doing his chauffeuring business. And he's got um, Lewis Avery's parents in the back, isn't he? Yes, Roy and Ruth. Ronald Lee Hunt died in 2005. Annette Kerr died in 2013. Annette Kerr seems to be in a few more programmes than Ronald Lee Hunt. Or she was in 2.4 Children, Alexi Sales, Merry Go Round, amongst others. comedies, really. Yeah. and well, He's more into his films, isn't he? Steve McQueen. Oh, stuff. But yeah, um, The Omen, Le Mans. But he sadly passed away. And after one foot, that was his final appearance, according to IMDb. Another one of these outside characters who seemingly doesn't last long once one foot in the grave is aired. Mm. Um, it's it's like a it's weird. It's it's quite a number of actors, not necessarily old either, that this happens to. It's either their final appearance or they sadly pass away um, sooner than they should. I know this gentleman's, you know, probably, I think died at a reasonable age, but there's been some actors that died actors that have died you know much younger so anyway so what's going on here there so Victor's picked him up from the airport that's right that's right and uh trundling along and uh they've got a table reserved at uh abbey grange isn't it it's yes like a plush hotel and they're not staying there such are they it's just a hotel and they're, they're they are disappointed that uh what well, are they presuming that lewis isn't gonna join them because it's, an, it's yeah. an anniversary dinner isn't it? and he by the, by the sounds of the, the tone of their voice uh he doesn't really often make the effort to spend a bit of time with them with them as parents a bit of an arse of a son yeah yeah and they've got um a basket full of kittens i don't know why they've got that brought the kittens with them obviously to look like after them device, that's all say again sounds like a bit of a plot device i think yeah i mean it's it's necessary as ever but they come down from scotland I and mean, they couldn't find a cattery. I don't know. They brought they brought the kittens down. Some people attached to their pets in that in that way that they don't trust such a thing as catteries or whatever dog kennels. Uh, but they need to go by Lewis's house to drop off the cats before going straight to the hotel. I think was that was that a last minute decision because time's getting on. They just want to go straight. Yeah, I think so. I think so. The, you know, the son's an arse. He hasn't put anything on for them. He hasn't arranged anything and. Uh... They just want to get their head down for the night and get a bit of uh, food before that, I guess. What happens is Victor, being the chauffeur, he takes the kittens, drops them off at Lewis's house, lets himself in. The kittens look like they're going to escape a certain part of the house, so he, he locks them in, I presume, at the, the dining room area. Just before this, obviously we should say that Lewis is there. It, it looks like it's a, <laughs> an empty house, lasting at night, no cars in the um, garage area. Lewis is ushering all of these friends and family for this surprise anniversary into another room. They're here. Got everybody in the conservatory. Come on, come on. Come on. Quick, 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 quick. 
through everybody in front. Go on. Go on, you're not here to enjoy yourself. <laughs> it didn't make me laugh when under his voice he says, Come on, you're not here to enjoy yourselves. <laughs> Doesn't want to hear a word from any of them. He wants them all stum. Just keep quiet. And it's just a classic surprise type thing he had in mind. Then just a Victor comes, to go with it. Yeah. Hmm. Victor then comes in with the kittens. Seemingly locks them in and leaves. <laughs> now it works that Victor does this because if it was uh, Royal Ruth, his parents they probably would have called out and said something, whereas Victor just wants to be in and out and get on with it, because he has to beat... Victor's got to beat Ronnie Mildred, hasn't he? So time's getting yes, on. It's past, it's past dinner time, isn't it? And then when Victor leaves, we've just got this perfect pause of silence and nothing, nothingness, followed by a... Hello? <laughs> hello? Yeah. That hello is a brilliant line, yeah. yeah it's yeah. one simple English word and it brought out a roar of laughter for me it's it's the long shot on the door as well I don't know if you noticed that maybe that's what made you laugh it's almost like a pause long shot deliberate on the door hello <laughs> wonderful stuff we're now at Ronnie Mildred's and Margaret greets Victor outside she's that livid like she must she just needs backup she's been there on her own come on Victor and Victor explains you know he had to pick up the parents from the airport and it was just a bit delayed so she leaves him to it to reverse and then we're brought straight back inside the Ronnie Mildred household and it doesn't take Margaret too long to realize that she's just instructed Victor to park in of course the huge empty garage which the one she nearly fell through and it's that Ed Welch music is again isn't it the, the mm. sort of tension mm. brilliant and, and we see the front end of the car up you know upright it's been reversed in rocking yeah it's that rocking bit that just, you know, you could look at it back and think, oh, wasn't that obvious? But I don't think it was obvious that that was going to happen. All the markers were there, weren't there? And I think because there's lots of dialogue, you're tied in with the dialogue, you're tied in with the strands, like go into Atterbury's house. I think you forget that the setup is there. Renwick is superb in making sure that you're not able to second guess. It's only when she panics that you think, oh, brilliant, we know what he's done. Mm. And then rather than just show Victor's face or something, it's the car rocking. Brilliant. It's, it's, the, sec brilliant. it's, it's the second time this episode that Margaret has accidentally set him up to fail because with the tap, the, the water temperature in the first scene or two where she mm. delayed response, oh crap, he's going <clears> to burn himself. She's done the same here. And it's still not her fault entirely, I think. In, in, real, in the real world, that garage would be sort of cordoned off. You wouldn't be able to go anywhere near it. And Ronnie Mildred would say, you know, please don't park. In the I mean, I, to be honest with you, actually, if you, have you ever been to someone's house and, and they said, yeah, park in the garage? Yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. It. yeah. Oh, that's what happened to me. I, I'll just be parking in there around the front or on the side of the road. I don't yeah, no, think that's totally, I think that's totally believable. I don't, I don't think that's cumbersome at all. No. Yeah. no I, I couldn't say I've ever parked in someone's garage, like, even if it's a huge double garage, but nevertheless, Victor does. Oh no, car number two. You do feel for him. Straight away, the next scene is they somehow the car's oh, been before, recovered. Before you go to the next scene, he, he does his classic. I don't believe it. We do get. Oh yeah, we get we get an I don't second. believe it, don't we? I do believe it. <laughs> yeah. Which is perfect for this situation, though. I know you've mentioned in previous podcasts and. Um, it's, it's not my favourite expression from Victor. I know it's the staple one, the public mm. love, but yeah. 
what in the name of bloody hell's my uh, yeah my favorite i think margaret's growling and uh yeah she'll often say something like uh, what, what's a what's a margaret catchphrase i've just gone blank um Will you? And then Paul. Yeah. Sort of, oh, for God's sake, Victor. That is, <laughs> that is, for me, funnier. But Victor's still hilarious. I mean, Rich Wills can still deliver that line marvellously, but I do agree that the other, the other less common catchphrases are funnier. And I think it's sometimes good, you know, Renwick's talked about he didn't want to become overused. Uh, mm. I, I think in itself, it's not the best, you know, half of it is sometimes, I don't, and the half of it is good. Yeah, yeah. But I also like, my, my other favourite is, that is the absolute limit. I love it. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> that is the absolute limit. Unbelievable. <laughs> that one as well. Yeah. 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 And you see if I don't, mate. <laughs> <laughs> or even just the noises as well, like. Ah, shh, ah, ah. That just comes from yeah. great acting there, doesn't it? Yeah, it's super. It's, but it's good that we get, we get a good, because I think that's what's missing in the episode on reflection is, we don't get many of those stutters in sentences. Mm. This is the only time, I think, quote me if I'm wrong, where he says is, I don't believe it, or... Yeah. He's quite passive in this episode, really, apart from confronting the Yeah, he's team. actually, isn't he? He's quite passive, but um, the car's clearly been recovered. It's, it's on all fours, wheels, that is. And <laughs> Margaret in the front, Lewis's parents in the back, find this highly amusing, probably because they... A bit, they sound like they're quite resentful of their son's success because they, yes, you know, they don't think he's going to take it well. They sort of <clears throat> sarcastic with it, aren't they? Like, oh, I'm sure he'll be all right, you know. And then they start giggling. And I know it's not the word for word what they say, but they're not very sympathetic to Victor because they know their son will be pretty pissed when they find out. And when we t- when they turn up at the house, they are the whole of the party from a, a long shot can be seen. Obviously stuck inside, <laughs> but I think they would. Someone would have definitely been able to get out of a window, or surely they would have not been there all night. There's there must have been a telephone in the, that huge house in that room they're in. But I don't know. I, don't I, know. Can, I can believe. I can believe that self. Because there's about 20, 20 to thirty people. They, they would have. They would have worked out. I think. Don't you think? But I, but I just love. I don't know, maybe the comedy just comes across stronger than the, the, the plot, but mm. I just love the idea that all these people are crammed into a conservatory. Because of Victor. Well, well, <laughs> because of Victor's bloody action. But I'll tell you what makes it even better is, is it's, it's the classic build-up from Renwick, is when the car turns the corner and you just get that scraping noise across the gravel. Oh, yeah, yeah. With the, bump, with the bumper, and you just think, oh, brilliant, we've seen the back end now. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. The, the, the party are gathered round this vehicle that is seemingly written off, with Lewis very much inspecting the damage. And there's a bit of grov... Margaret is grovelling on Victor's behalf, isn't she? Mm, mm, mm. Um, very much quite supportive, really, if you think about it. And Lewis sort of calmly goes to the back of... Um, his car, I don't know if it's the other car, isn't it? And he pulls yeah. out this shotgun. <laughs> very dark and very random. Uh, but this is how he feels in the moment. And we see um, a uh, his, his partner, his girlfriend, come to calm him down. And there's a bit of a sad reveal. It's Tanya, much to Margaret's surprise. This is his missus. Didn't see it coming. When I first watched it, that's the last. You would not 
understandably make that connection that no, this man it you know i think he's in his 50s as this character with this lovely lady in her early 30s she is looking very glamorous she's very look, look she looks a lot like i'll tell you who she looks like christina bleakley the presenter mm. Mm-hmm. She looks very, very gorgeous, and she is calming him down. And he's uh, reluctantly puts down the shotgun. Um, it's obviously Hunter, isn't he? When you told me this man wanted a job, you didn't tell me it was a demolition expert. <laughs> he does it through gritted teeth as well, which makes him better. He's just at his wit's end. That's two of his babies. I mean, he'll be insured through to his out of his yeah. he- ears, eyes. No, he'll be fine, won't he? Re- but. They're obviously classic cast to some extent, so you can't quite replace that. All the money in the world won't replace, you know, your pride and joy. But you do but... feel sorry for Victor here. He does. Uh, Wilson does that classic sort of sheepish look, mm. where he doesn't say anything, but the eyes kind of go down, and, and Victor's like, mm, uh, "Well, okay." Um... He doesn't really wince, does he? Because if someone had a, got a shotgun out, I'd be ducking and diving. I'd be like, ah. But yeah, he 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 really does take it well. But in many episodes, when he knows that he's done something wrong, he does that classic, it's hard to describe without seeing I know, it's it. like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just want the world to swallow me up. <laughs> yeah. He wants to do a Basil 40 where Basil gets like on, crouches down, pulls his blazer over the top and just like jumps <laughs> randomly in the in psychiatrist, isn't it? Yes. That's what yeah. every leading actor wants to do when they're in the wrong or they're just highly embarrassed. I mean, all is not lost. You've still got the jag left. The Tanya remains positive. At least they have the jag. So she's really lovely in this, in the respect that she's not giving Victor any crap because she's got to deal with this miserable boyfriend now because he's drunk and you know lost his second of his children, shall we say, in the in the automobile world. But it's sad, isn't it? Because she was just one of these really lovely ladies who unintentionally leads guys at the wrong path. Yeah. You know, she clearly from first impressions, seemed to like Nick Swaney, but she was just being nice. But Probably. Nick knew the answer. Nick knew in that line, life's never that wonderful. He, yeah. he knew it. And yeah. He was right after all. But he probably says that all the time because he's True. single, do you know? So you're going to get it right. I mean, as far as we know, he's a single guy concentrating he's on... He's not an optimist, is he? Mm. He's not an optimist, no. Although he's still quite... He does come across quite positive and upbeat. Yeah, no, on maybe he is. he's a chirpy, chirpy yeah. chappy, but... Yeah, I think would love and, and yeah, he doesn't he doesn't overblow himself of confidence. No, so to our surprise, Victor has kept his job. He is in the car, breaking current laws around using a phone whilst driving. It's one of these wired um, handsets with buttons on the outside, and he's I don't know who he's. Uh, is he on he's the phone to Margaret? Mar- Mar- yeah, yeah. He's on the phone to Margaret. Yeah. Now he says. Uh, Everything seems surprisingly fine, and it's a brilliant um, oh, yes. throwback in sort of what we've seen, where he says, "Oh, there's there's no footprints on the uh, on the window, whatever." He says, "Tiny has probably calmed him down. This uh, angelic-looking princess has allowed Victor to keep his job. It's brilliant." Because any other bloke would have got rid of him, so it's probably yeah. reined in. Uh... Yeah, you want... think about it, the first one wasn't Victor's fault. That was the rugby lads. Mm. As far as Avery's concerned, he didn't see Victor's confrontation. So he's come out, that's not blamed on Victor. The second one is, but Tan, and, and I think, you know, you talk to yourself about, oh, maybe that doesn't work, or that. I think understanding that this is the, uh, the only one of the two that Atterbury sees as Victor's fault, 
Tanner is the restraining influence, isn't she? Yeah, I mean, from Lewis's point of view, he could probably forgive the first one, but then he'd say, why would you have to confront a lorry load of or a van load of rugby players? That sort of thing is inevitable. Just do your job and don't worry about what other people are doing with parked cars. The second one, he'd say, well, it's up to you to know where, where you're reversing. Like, you need to check mm. this. You know, I know but you don't expect point, it to be a, a, a big 10-foot drop, but he, he was But at this point, you know, you know that there's a third car, and it's pretty obvious what's mm. going to happen. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's how it's going to happen is mm. where the interest and the comedy lies. Yeah, because it's all set up now, because he, he, I think he has to return to the dentist, That's which right. will be the... Central final nail in the coffin. It'll round things up nicely. Yes, yes. We're in the kitchens at the Meldries. Margaret's just finished the phone call from Victor and she goes outside and we see this hilarious image (laughs) from behind the fence of Mr. Sweeney dressed up for the silly walk. And he's on these, I don't really see them anymore in these like charity events. If you see anything televised or anything local, he's in those huge sort of 10 foot tall large stilts and it's comical though aren't they they're just comical mm. and it's but very don't you, think it, don't, don't you think as well that it's a it's a, it's a homage or a throwback to ministry of silly walks you know he's got his bowler hat on he's got his long trousers and i've said i've said similar before where victor gets cramp and he does a stupid walk i feel like that's a homage yes. to silly walks as well so the number of times that's happened to victor but yeah but, Mr. Sweeney's got the top hat. Well, it's not really a top hat, but he's... Uh, he's a bowler, I think, isn't it? Yeah. He's just loving it, isn't he? He's, he's, yeah. he's doing he's in this. His element. He's in his element. He's doing the silly walk the proper way, as being as silly as possible. And poor Margaret's got... She's, she's very good in how she's just being honest with him. About Tanya. And I've got everything planned for this evening. I managed to get two tickets for that new Eddie Murphy film. And uh, afterwards, I thought she might like to go to this nice little Italian restaurant, which is right Yes, next. Mr. Sweeney. I'm afraid Victor and I ran into Tanya last night, actually. It was at this big party at someone's house, and she was there with... Yes, right. I see. Thank you, Mrs. Muldrew, I understand. I'm sorry, Mr. Sweeney, I didn't... No, 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 it's, um... Well... Thanks for your help, anyway. I feel so awful. Especially after we... I mean... You were right. Yeah. Well, I'll see you later. <laughs> Life's never that wonderful. And she reveals that Tanya is, in fact, um, spoken for. And poor Mr. Swaney just takes it really well, but he's obviously devastated. But it's that thing with comedies where there's sadness and then instant comedy, yeah. where he yeah. walks off yes. like, in his stilts. He's like, there's, the dignity is just... I mean, before, it's not like he didn't have dignity before because he was supposed to look silly, but he's just been told that the, the, this exciting date he thinks he's going on it's, it's not going to be a date at all. This Tanya, spoken for, and you know, 
don't get any ideas yeah. sort of thing. No, he's mate. already booked a, a meal at an Italian restaurant. He's gone oh, to see yeah, that's the other thing. Film. Yeah, it's really sad. It's really sad because she seems like, she, admittedly, she seems a tiny bit, she does seem out of league to some extent, but not to say he doesn't deserve someone like that. Do you know what I mean? Like she's, mm. she said she is really lovely. Um, but it's, it's just really a classic misunderstanding that mm. uh, Margaret's got involved in which uh, yeah she well, feels responsible don't she Margaret yeah. Um, but yeah it's but when, when Margaret does does she say to herself you know life is never that wonderful yeah she's, sort of, good, she's, she's sighing with disappointment back. yeah but it's yeah. a good linking back to what he said he said life's never that wonderful yeah she's that sort of long shot where she goes, yeah Mm, life's never that yeah, she sort of says it to herself, doesn't she? Mm. Um, That's what I love about Margaret is that Renwick gives her lines that there was one in my head just a moment ago. Now it's gone. But no, it's yeah. right. it'll come back. <laughs> she, she'll always underscore a scene, and it's you know it's always mm. sentence or yeah word. So yeah, so we move on to the next scene, which is Victor in a dentist chair, mm. and Doctor is sort of milling about, sorting out his uh, teeth. The extraction and um, it? it's having it sort that's of right. Is it like a follow up appointment or something? And then, yeah, and then you get the classic, brilliant Ed Welch music, almost like a, a pistache of or a take on uh, Flight of the Bumblebees. It's this bee sort of buzzes around in the in the room and lands. Think, really, oh, yeah, that, it's a that's... It's really do dodgy. Um, not even CGI. It's just a dodgy digital effect bee in shot. But it works. Um, it works. It does the job. Um, did you ever see that Mr. Bean skit where Richard Wilson played a dentist? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. It's a, a couple of years after this. I don't know. What it, must, it might have been around about the same time. I think but, it's slightly before. I think it's slightly before. Is it? Year, yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's this. He's unbeknown to Victor. Yeah, this fly or bee, sorry, is made its way into his gob. And, of course, he, yeah, he's not going to feel it because he's... It's just he's had an injection in there and it's all numb, local anaesthetic or whatever's he's he's had. But yeah, you're right. He was in Mr. Bean a couple of years prior to that. Yeah. But I read into that that um, as she's sort of filling out, it's the bee sting that's caused his jaw to go numb, rather than the uh, the the injection itself. So she's obviously put oh, some yeah. crap in. The bee's gone in, stung him, and he's gone. Obviously, thought that was I don't know. That's the, the interpretation I got. No, I, because he's yeah, sort of feeling just, the car later on, he's sort of feeling it around, and of course he can't feel it because he's, he's well, gone he's, numb. he's probably double the numbness, so it's the yeah, it's the injection yeah. and the B, isn't it? So it it, it which well, I guess we can now um, casually go on to the next scene in the in the car because he's, yeah, he's now in the car with Atterbury, isn't he? Atterbury seems they seem to be getting on well, um, all think being well. Victor takes his eyes off the road briefly, where I think he was just. I don't know why he turned round. I think he turned round to Atterbury, didn't he? Just and he's like, "Oh, keep your eyes, keep your eyes on the because I literally sometimes has, yeah, yeah." He's got this cotton wool in his <laughs> mouth because he, you have to once you leave the dentist, you have to keep it in there, obviously, to stop yeah. any bleeding yeah. or any infections in transitioning between you know having that injection and whatever. And of course, he pulls out this cotton bun and it's got a bee on it. And Lies that, bee. It, <laughs> Inevitably, and it survived Victor's mouth <laughs> for, for starters. And he's just as you probably would at the will if you averagely 
afraid of bees or wasps or whatever, you might it will distract you. And of course, he goes off road in an absolute panic. You think, oh God, this is how the, this is how he's going to damage the third and final baby of Atterbury's vehicle. And he goes off road through a hedge, doesn't he? Yeah, through a hedge onto uh, the fields. And if you um, you think, oh my God, this he's going to overturn, and he manages to stop. Yes, it's actually, oh, it's all right. It, it's fine. Thank God for that. <laughs> but then, um, classic Renwick, you know, that, that's not going to suffice. That's the false reveal. You know, yeah. you've got Richard Wilson doing his brilliant acting of panicking in the car, and then you think, you're giggling all the way. You're thinking, where is this going? Where is this going? And then, okay, what have you got up your sleeve? Well, of course, they both go out to inspect any possible damage, a bit like how Atterbury did in the previous scene to the actual damaged second vehicle. I think this time we've been lucky, actually. I can't see any damage, can you? Over the worst of it, they're sort of parked in the middle of a field, just off the big shrubbery bush, brush, shrubbery bush, and out of nowhere, <laughs> it's out of their eye, eye line. It's quite cleverly. Yeah, you can hear it, it first, can't you? You can hear it first before you see it. And it's so not that. The... Yeah, and a huge tank <laughs> crushes the car. This is. I can just. Um, hear my grandparents laughing um, to the point of crying when they when this happens because in it just typical and it makes sense. It's not this isn't random because if you remember remember sorry if you remember the first montage scene of Victor driving the riding my riding around in my automobile, they pass a big tanker which splashes the car. It's like almost that was a foreshadowing. I like to think because yeah, they the do army, live. Yeah, it's an army truck. He, he, he lives near, I think they even said that this Atterbury lives near an army army base, doesn't he? Yeah, Cobblestone. Yes, so it makes perfect sense. And then this tank is followed by a load of, like a army squadron of... That's what makes the joke so much more funny, is the fact that it's still not done. Here we go, we're going to send the platoon soldiers <laughs> over the top. Um, oh, yeah, they probably get brilliant. some sort of arrest for being on, um, you know, private land of the army and Victor just casually hands the keys to yes. <laughs> Lewis and uh, that's ended and that's definitely Victor out of a job it's not surprising that Victor could balls this up um, it's fair to say the last car being damaged is his fault I mean I actually it's not his fault a bee went in his mouth but there could have been no, I don't know. I don't know what I'm it's saying. Victor being Victor. I'm 50-50, actually. Anyone from outside watching that, you go, yeah, he's mm. the cause of it. But in Victor's head, it's all innocent. It's it's, it's the world against him. Mm. But uh, it's a great end to an episode. You know, it's very similar to Only Fools and Horses, where you always have the payoff at the end. Yeah. And one foot is exactly the same. This is probably, if I said to someone, there's always a payoff at the end. This is yeah. a good episode yeah. to show that. Three car, three of those beautiful cars. I don't know how long he would have been in that in that job for, but oh, well, he's yeah. never in a job for long. Be it a lollipop man or uh, no, <laughs> window cleaner. Do you yeah. do you do you know the the um the reason why this is called the Exterminating Angel? What's behind that ty- film. title? It's a it is a film, film isn't in it? Nineteen thirties, um, and Renwick, which you're probably aware of, Renwick likes to use pop culture references in the yeah. title. So you've got Edgar Allan Poe's uh, The Descent of Man and uh, Descent Nelstrom. into the Nelstrom. Yeah. 
Um, Futility of a Fly is a, is a well-known uh, title. Um, the Executioner's Song, once again. So a lot of them are taken from literature, poems, very dark stuff. Yeah. He does that for Jonathan Creek um, episode names, doesn't he, sometimes? Yeah, I mean, I'm not an anorak as much for that, but there's something like The Turning of the Screw, or which is a Henry James novel. The Clue of the Savant's Thumb. Um... And they sound quite Agatha Christie-esque. Don't yeah. They? They sort of Jonathan Creek. Yeah. You'd expect that in the canon of Marco or Poirot. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do love the titles that are used, you know, in Luton Airport, no one can hear you scream. It's just, they're just great titles, aren't they? Yeah. Lots it's of, a take on Alien in space, yeah. no one can hear you scream. So. Just a play on words. And I know um, John Sullivan did the same with some Fools and Horses yeah, titles as well, didn't he? The winner, yeah. um, you know, uh, it could just be a song, like it could be um, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Uncle rather than Brother, yes. as an example. So, end of the episode, end of the series, from a podcast perspective. I'm a bit sad that there's only one more series for me to review, plus the upcoming specials, Wisdom of the Witch, Starbound, Endgame, Series 6, Comet Reliefs, and that's it. So likely by the end of play 2021, probably by the summer, the podcast. I'm not going to say it'll be over because I'll do one-off specials. If I'm lucky enough to have a guest associated with a show on, obviously that'll be an episode. But yeah, it was great to have you on Thank you. Chris to finish off this excellent series, series five. I'm just glad I can talk about something I love and, and I'm yeah, listen to this podcast uh, like minded as well. You know, just Great. just laughter makes the world go round, doesn't it? And it does. You can do it about your favourite sitcoms. You know, what more can I ask on a, on a great con- great contribution? I can't let you go until you've given us a Meldry moan. So I hope you're okay. prepared for a Meldry moan. Are you I, ready for I, one? I'm, I'm happy to give a Meldry moan. Go for it. Oh, I do Will you look at this? Bastards! Can you believe the nerve of this? A skin their ruddy height for them. Uh, well, as I said in the podcast, um, I'm, I'm a quizzer. That's my, that's my main love. And the one thing that really, really irritates me, I got, is it okay to join two together? Of course you can. Double whammy. Um, is 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 um, people that use the phrase before my time. So you'll see it on right. Pointless or you'll see it on The Chase. Some youngster of about, well, not even a youngster, could be someone my age, 32. They're given a question about um, the Titanic. and it, Oh, that's before my time. Or mm. 1970s music, that's before. So, there's books out there. There's history books. You can read stuff. You know, have you heard of the Beatles? Yeah, well, that's not before your time then, is it? Yeah. And it I just think, really annoys me. It's a default answer. I mean, I teach students between the ages of um, 11 and 18, and they don't use sayings like that. It tends to be people in their 20s. Well, you can see it in the 40s and 50s. Uh, yeah. Just a redundant statement that has no yeah. power. Why not just say, uh, oh, it's not not in my uh, um, interest range. You know, I'm more into rock music or I'm yeah. more into... But it's a default answer. You'll see someone there and they'll say, yeah, that's before my time. You're, oh, definitely, spe- you're definitely speaking as a history teacher, though, aren't you, here, to be fair? Like- no, I'm thinking more culturally. They, tend to do- no, they don't tend to do it with history. They tend to do it more with um, popular culture. So it'll be, I don't know, a yeah, 60s fair. round. And yeah. they'll go, oh, I don't know, it's before my time. <laughs> it's like, well, everyone's heard of the Beatles. Yeah. Um, Bohemian Rhapsody. 
Um, do, you, do, you think, do you think it could also be certain periods of time, there's certain humor types, like there's a, maybe a certain generation of person who will, I don't know, there could be, I know that it's a very broad term like humor, but if mm. someone is not just quoting something, but they're behaving in a certain way, Mm. and then the young person goes i don't understand what why that's funny i mean you could you could argue that but i think this is more more in a in a quiz or setting it's almost like they yeah. feel embarrassed that they don't know the answer and they would be embarrassed if it was i don't know a science question or they, they, but why is it they have to use the phrase before my time it's like get out of jail card i think that's what it is i think it's just an yeah, easy is, way to get out yeah yeah and you... the other thing I, I detest, which ties into, and I've got a good anecdote to go with it, is I, I detest cheating in quizzes because obviously it makes everything redundant. And my missus gets really annoyed with me because I'll say, oh, look, phones are out, phone brigade are out. You know, in this day and age, everyone uses that phone for bloody everything. And of course, you've got Shazam. And you've got the yeah. software Shazam. And of course, you can tap. the song title, doesn't it? Yeah. So you're there, sat there. And these same kids that would happily, well, I say kids, I apologise, these individuals, youngsters that would normally say before my time, get 20 out of 20 on the music. And you think, hang on, what's going on here? Yeah. You know, beforehand, you were shouting out in a sitcom round, oh, that's before my time. Yet you get yeah. 20 out of 20 when there's 50s, 60s, and 70s track. Mm, smell a rat here. So here's the anecdote. I um, was doing one quiz, and I knew the quiz master, and he turned around and he said, um, the winners of that is such and such a team. They got 17 out of 20. Of course, this group of students. We got 20, we got 19 out of 20. We got 19 out of 20. He said, yep, you cheated. Well, how did you know we cheated? He said, well, look at this answer. Look. For number nine, you put down concrete and clay, 60s track, and it's by unit four plus two. But what they put down was various artists. So they had huh. obviously just... <laughs> they had obviously they just found out. it, not bright enough, and gone, oh, look, there's the artist. He's called oh. various artists. And they showed them the whole pub was in fits and waved them <laughs> out the door. But it just it just annoys me. Maybe I'll take it too passionately like I do with many things in life. But um, Well, no, if it's your passion and someone's not playing by the rules, it's going to rile you up, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you don't do it in football. You get, you get disagreements. You don't yeah. get snooping. You get disagreements. Yeah. So. But yeah, before my time is my male dream home. Time yeah, that's like that. yeah. I, lo I love hearing different listeners' male dream homes. They're all valid perfectly valid and i i have i expect i've used that phrase but i'm trying to give an example but a lot of people might say to me oh god you you don't have you aren't half um old before your time that's a lovely sentiment though i like that that's a lovely sentiment that's a compliment but yeah when it's used as a bloody excuse for some poxy contestant on pointless or the chase you think to yourself don't you dare don't you dare you want to start riling me now <laughs> well thank you very much chris for um, your not only your Meldry moans, plural on the moans, <laughs> but for helping me discuss Exterminating Angel. Thank you. Um, end of series five. If anybody likes to get in contact, um, perhaps to rate and review the show, I'll be very grateful. Um, you can email onefootinthepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter as ever, at onefootinthepod, Instagram, Facebook, all the rest of it. Um, have a chat. It's um, good to talk all things one foot. I do have people in place for Series 6 and the um, upcoming specials. But if you would like to take part, there, are, there will be opportunities for one-off episodes. But yeah, Chris, thank you very much. I hope you um, 
I'm going to say have a lovely Christmas, but when this goes out, it will probably be uh, February. Yeah. So to the listener, no they don't want to hear about Christmas. But at the time of recording, 18th of December, I do hope you have a lovely uh, and you time, too, mate. Christmas time off. What's the next one foot in the grave episode you're going to watch? Off the top, I of think head? I'm going to well to watch on TV, relax with. You're gonna. Um, you got two two weeks off, deserved break. You're going to put on one right. foot. What's your go-to? It's always going to be the man who blew away. It's a classic Christmas episode. Uh, Victor with a Hitler moustache on, <laughs> trying to pick apart the uh, joke in the cracker. You know. What's the difference between a chef who keeps dropping his pancakes and Victor Meldrew? They're both useless tossers. Yeah. Technically not. Raven in insurance companies. And technically not. Policeman. Technically not a difference, the uh, the Christmas cracker. They're not. That's what they got in common, as Victor yeah. says. <laughs> Very pedantic. That, that, to me, is the pinnacle. Every, every Christmas, I always sit down with a box set of different comedies. And, uh, yeah, The Man Who Blew Away with Mr. Foskett, as I live and breathe. Me and Best. my dad have watched that one and. Uh, Laugh to our hearts' content. The best one-off character, Mr. Foskett. Good choice. Oh, definitely. Definitely. All right, Chris. Well, take care. Pleasure, mate. Pleasure. And, and thank you, everyone uh, who has been listening from the beginning, or you might have just discovered the podcast. Thank you very much. The next episode will be the Wisdom of the Witch, and uh, I look forward to reviewing that. But thank you again for everyone. Take care, and I will be back soon. I want food.